and welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out our weekly email where I'm sharing actual website and marketing tips, useful podcasts, free guides, resources, and more to kick off your week every Monday with a bang. Why not give it a shot over at businessgrowth.emails. Joining me today, I've got Carrie Hansen. Carrie's the VP of Marketing over at Spyroad AI. Carrie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to chat today. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to this one because it's a juicy topic. I think a lot of people will probably be think, looking at title thinking, oh, this sounds pretty interesting. So we've been chatting all things, how businesses can build credibility in markets that are dominated by larger bigger companies and how they can build up that all-important reputation and grow their business. So first and foremost, Carrie, how important is credibility when it comes to a B2B company? Um, I think it's everything. Frankly, uh, when you're selling to other businesses, you have to do a lot of proof. You have to make sure that when they buy, they're risking their business and making sure that you can deliver on your promise, that they respect you, that you're going to uh, be there in the long haul. It, it's meaningful to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you do you think it's it's mainly because it's a, a trust builder? Is it a brand builder? Is there like psychological elements to it too in terms of the audience, or is there, there a bunch of things involved? I think all of that definitely plays into having the initial conversations and making the connections. But I think ultimately when you're when you're selling to another business, it really comes down to you know, less of an emotional connection and more of can they trust you, which there, there's an emotional connection to it. But if you have the credibility and the proof and the validation, it, it sort of takes that trust off of the table because they need to run their business. And if your product or your service isn't going to live up to what you promise, it's very different than, you know, if you go to, to Best Buy or a consumer store and you buy something and you don't like it, you can return it. It, it, doesn't, it. it doesn't work that way in B2B. It actually affects how you're working with your own customers. Yeah, and I suppose in B2B as well is often the sales cycles are longer and often the pricing, the ticket ticket mm -hmm. of the actual items themselves are a lot more significant when compared to B2C. So I suppose that element of credibility just kicks in a heck of a lot more when, when items are less transactional. Yeah, I, I think it does. And I also think um, not only are things more expensive, but it takes a lot more time from the buyer. And so they're putting in a lot of effort. And, um, you know, if if you lose credibility, it just derails the, the whole process on their side, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to be sharing your, your strategy, a your step by step walkthrough of how how brands can build credibility and go against some of the monsters in their market. But just before we do is becoming a leader in dominated industries if there are massive competitors um out there is it is it really possible to to get up to their level or close to if you are a startup yeah absolutely i i believe uh my my entire career has been working with startups taking on the big guys in the b2b space but i actually think um, it's one of the easiest things to accomplish. You'll never have the brand recognition of, you know, a $5 billion company uh, until you are that size. You'll never have the reach. But if you can become uh, a thought leader, you actually are probably more focused on it than they are because they're spread across so many other areas. And so I personally believe it's the one place where you really can um, put them on the defense very quickly. 
You mentioned the word easy. That that scares me a bit. You sound almost too confident. <laughs> Is I that because... it's easy? It's easier than you know. You can never you can never outmarket uh, a giant company who has a twenty million dollar advertising spend. You just can't do it. Sure. Um, and so I think it's all relative. Like it's not easy that you can just do it and be done. But I think it's uh, realistic. Maybe that's a better I, word. Yeah, forgive me. I just like giving my guests a hard time. Um, but. What do you think of some of the, before we get into this strategy, what do you think of some of the advantages you have over a larger scale organization that might be a bit more corporate, that might have a lot more things in place? What are some of the advantages that you have over them? Um, well, I think first and foremost is personality. Uh, smaller companies, they're still people. Um, it's not 100,000. And uh, you can talk about some big brands that have a little bit of a personality, but it's it's not a, a person. Uh, you know, maybe you might have a Steve Jobs, but uh, I think in the smaller companies, it's really about the people behind the technology and the service. Uh, and I just, I, I think that that's one of the biggest assets. I also think that there's a lot more agility, a lot more flexibility, a lot more uh, risk taking. You know, you still you still have to be corporate, you still have to be professional, uh, but if something's not working, you can pivot a lot faster than the bigger companies. Yeah, that's what was what was in my mind, really, because I guess when you've got a, a larger established company, you've got a lot more staff, you've got a lot more people involved in the C-suite, so decisions just don't get made as quick. So when you're a startup, you're a lot scrappier. That's what I found as well when I've been in smaller companies. You can kind of get, get stuff done fast if you want to get it done. You can fail fast or you can win super fast, especially when it comes to marketing experiments. Yeah, sales, whatever it might be, you can put it to the market, see what sticks and act on it. Yeah, well, and especially when we're talking about thought leadership, you know, a lot of it is having commentary and inserting an opinion and smaller companies, they can react faster. Uh, so if something's going on, you know, if you're a security company and there's a breach, you can very quickly just get on the phone and provide commentary where the bigger companies, they need to make sure that one, the breach isn't going to affect them, that they have something to say. You know, they just have a lot of red tape that they have to go through. And and sometimes, you know, whoever can in the middle of, of a news um, cycle or some chaos going out in the market, whoever can go out and just calm people down, that's the person they're going to turn to. And bigger companies aren't able to be in that position where smaller companies, you know, security is an easy example. Um, yep. But there's, you know, every industry has something where you can get out and you can talk while the bigger companies are working through their red tape. And by the time they come out, they don't really have much to say beyond the very, you know, the, the lawyers have sanitized it to the point where it's not helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great point. It's a great point. So with that said, let's jump into to this framework because I know it's something you've followed at a couple of organizations you've been in, Carrie. So what are the, some of the first considerations that we should think about when it comes to building up our brand, building up our credibility in a new market? Well, I think every every company needs to figure out first, as a company, What's your vision? What's the overall message? Not about your product, but you know, if you're in security, what's your vision for the market? Uh, if you're like us um, at Spiro, our vision for the market is that we want to kill CRM. We hate it. We think that there's a better way. And so it's a very, it's a very vague vision. But then when you start talking about, you know, do you want to be a thought leader? You can really figure out, okay, behind that vision. As an executive, depending on what your role is, what are you going to do? The company message is very different. They're going to talk about how they're going to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, you could a CTO can talk about why are they going to do it. The CEO can talk about why 
um, it's so important to them. You can talk about, um, you know, how to make it a little bit more approachable. You know, you can be the person that makes technology simple for somebody. You could be the person that has a lot of experience and you can share the tips and tricks. Like you can sort of pick what, what's your little niche um, and then you can actually start building your credibility. You know, you don't have to take on and boil the ocean. You want to sort of focus and just hammer hammer that one corner. Yeah, I think when you said killing CRM, my eyes lit up and probably anyone that's ever done sales in their, their life probably thought, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so how, maybe you can share with, when it comes to actually coming up with a vision or a message, have you got any tips and feel free to use Spire as an example of how to come up with a vision or a message that's actually going to resonate with buyers, aka the people that are going to buy our stuff? Well, I think, uh, you know, Suspiro is a great example. I joined about four years ago um, and, you know, everybody at the company would talk about why they hated CRM and why, you know, we were we were in a position to come out with an entirely new approach. And so everybody that I talked about that, you know, internally, the thing that we got so excited about was nobody likes CRM. I mean, there's a salesperson does not exist. That's like, oh, my God, I love my CRM. And so it just sort of became the mantra. And from a marketing perspective, I was like, well, let's capitalize on that. Like, let's let's build it out a little bit more. The the CEO would would fire up the employees about like, look, we hate it. We hate it. We're going to go kill it. And then when we talked externally, all of our process were like, oh, yeah, no, I hate it. You don't have to belabor that point. And so we were like, well, you know what? This this is what we want to do. Like, we don't have to hide it. We we can be, um, you know, a little bit um, controversial. We can have a personality. And so it, it came very clear, like, this is what we want to do. My last company, uh, it was a, a security software company. I was hire number 30. We sold to Fortune 500 CIOs. And so they were right. they were uh, much more um, polished. They were very professional. You know, security is a very different space. And so, yep. you know, with, with that company, it really came down to you know, our vision for the market was we wanted to empower those CIOs to really be the heroes of their company. And so obviously, you know, there's a lot of like how behind it, but you, you figured out the very quickly and at that space, we were taking on, you know, a, a very small company called Oracle. Uh, you know. <laughs> Just a little one, yeah. Yeah, just, a, you know, a little a little one. Um, and, but it was really about how, you know, it was a best practice approach with, with SellPoint of how could we work with the CIOs and show them, like, you don't have to be worried about what's going to happen at night. And at Spiro, you know, it's a very different, it's more of the, like, we know you hate that product that everyone is throwing at you. So let's not, let's just do something better. Um, and, and that vision becomes very clear and it doesn't have to be tied specifically to your product or your company. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of, of executives, they almost, they, they get paralyzed because they're like, well, that's not what my product, it, but it, it, it doesn't matter what your product and your service technically does right now. It's what are you trying to do to the market? What's yeah. that big vision? Because that's where you'll find, you know, I mentioned personality a few times, that's where you'll find any founder, any owner of a small company. When you when you hit the right message and the vision, they get very passionate about it, and you can see it coming out. And that's something that you cannot create, um, and you can't fake. And so once you see that passion, you know you're onto something. Yeah. And was there anything you ran like, like I like the two comparisons because they're both vastly different, which is which is great. So is there anything that you run or you recommend companies run as an organization to make sure it's actually the messaging is actually going to hit the nail on the head when it comes to your target customers as well as internally? Well, I think um, certainly you have to really be talking to your customers uh, because there's a there's a very clear path that the founders and the owners clearly 
this is what they see they're going to do. This is where they want to go. But you also have to figure out, you know, what what are the words that your customers are using? Why are they they talking to you? What's resonating with them? And then yep. you have to figure out sort of what's the delta because you want to get them to understand your vision, but you want to put it in words that are meaningful to them. And so I think there's a lot of conversations that need to happen, a lot of um, questions that you you need to pay attention to. And it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where executives sometimes they're like, well, but this is where I want to go. And the customer just doesn't know it yet. And it's, it's a valid point if you're in a new market, if you're in emerging technology, especially in B2B, but you have to understand where are your customers and what gets them excited? Because then you can take, well, here's my, my passion, my vision. Here's what I know is, is really bothering them. You know, at Sellpoint with the CIOs, it was, if they were going to have a data breach, it could end their career. I mean, it was as simple as that. And that's not something that we would talk about, but you could tell like they were concerned about something bad could potentially happen. And so it's almost like an insurance sale. And so we became more of, look, we can help you. We want to put you in a power position. And I think at Spiro, you know, it's when we talk to our end, our customers, they are frustrated because they can't get their, their salespeople to use the product because they hate it. And so, you know, we're like, well, of course they hate it. Nobody wants to use it. You're giving them a rotary phone and they want the iPhone. So let us help you. And it's, you know, you can sort of figure it out how to connect that pain point with your vision and really push it forward. Last point on messaging. How much of an impact do you think messaging has on an overall marketing strategy? <laughs> um, well, since I'm head of it's marketing. Quite, it's quite a broad question. I know. It is a broad question. I think... Um, you know, I, th I think that's a challenging question in that, you know, messaging is critical to any mar marketing strategy, but messaging is not the strategy. And so, you know, it really comes down to you have to have messaging. If it's the wrong messaging, you have to iterate it, because if you have the wrong messaging and you're trying to execute, you're going to fail. And if you if you really are paying attention, that messaging will evolve over time as it should. But, you know, you're not out there banging on the drums, you're out there saying something. And if somebody's not listening to you, you have to say it differently. And so that's where I think messaging is, is absolutely critical, but, and it's a big but, you don't have to have it perfect. And it's not going to be the same three and six months down the road. You're going to evolve as you should. Yeah. 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 That's it. Nick Bennett, the Director of Sales at Inbound Marketing Agency Impact, had a booking problem. Before, on HubSpot meetings, their website visitors had to take a huge seven or eight clicks from form submission through to meeting booked. Plus, they couldn't see who was abandoning midway through. With the help of Chili Piper, they're down to around just three clicks to book meeting and have full visibility into any drop-offs. One main friction point before was lead routing. HubSpot meetings added a form field plus two extra clicks just to do this. Chili Piper allows them to distribute leads to the right sales rep super fast. As a result, impactful of increased book meetings and provide a web experience both web visitors and their revenue teams love. We're constantly trying to just make the web experience better. To us, the most valuable thing was providing a delightful experience for people on the website because that's often the first touch point people have with us as people. Get your free demo of Chili Piper today at chilipiper.com slash BGS. 
That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash BGS. Are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on Google for the main services or products you offer? Or maybe you're already investing in SEO or marketing, but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. Okay, so moving forward, let's say we've nailed our messaging. What what comes next, Carrie? Well, so once you have your messaging and you know what do you want to be the thought leader in, and so this is where you know the personality really comes out. Are you a consultant and you want to really help them and make you know your technology, for example, more um, more digestible? Um, you know, for us at Spiro, we're, we're an artificial intelligence platform and we're selling into. Um, manufacturing companies. And so that can be really daunting because they don't have IT. And so our approach is the CEO can help them understand that AI is really approachable for them. It's not that scary and it's actually not that complicated for them to put in. It, it makes their life easier. And so, you know, you could be that con- that consultant person, you could be the person who if you've done it over and over and over again, and you want to help them a lot of services companies, I think this is where, you know, they might might want to pick that that corner of, you know, I've, I've had 25 clients in the last year, let me show you how to do it. So you don't have to have all of the problems and you'd be more of like the how to, or you can be the visionary. And I think there's some really cool visionaries of out there of you know, here's what's going to happen in five years. Here's where, where the market's going to go in five years. Or you can be the contrarian of, look, this is what everybody's thinking. I, I view it differently. And so you pick, you know, which one matches your personality and you can have a little bit of all of them. And then you just start sharing your thoughts. So for example, if you are going to take the um, the consultant approach, you know, you can just start talking about, you know, here's how people should be thinking about things. Here's something that, you know, I see, companies that I'm working with uh, and talking to, they get held up on this point and, you know, they're missing the broader issue and just sort of providing that value over and over and over again. If you want to be more of the visionary, you can, you can talk about, you know, this is where the market is going and this is why, and you can really tell a compelling story and you can tie it to as news events are out there explaining, this is why this is really important. You know, going back to sale point, you know, I mentioned it is in the security helped uh, address um, security breaches. And so it was really easy every time there was a security breach, um, every time there was, you know, some company had their their password, their customer passwords stolen, we could go out and talk to the press very quickly. It didn't affect us. Our product probably um, in some of the consumer examples wouldn't have solved it, but we could just talk about why identity theft was a big issue and why companies needed to pay attention to it. And it just gave us a platform to talk about it. I think, you know, at Spiro, as we talk about what's going on in the world, we sell to manufacturers, the supply chain issues affect them. And so, you know, you can hear something going on in, in the news about, you know, some some supply chain issues happening or, you know, there's overinflation going on, there's inventory challenges. And we can talk about, well, here's how AI could help you. And here's what AI could do for you. Or, you know, the great resignation, everybody's talking about it. Uh, the companies that we're working with, 
they actually have a challenge where not is not only are we seeing as a country uh, over here in the U.S. this great resignation, but the companies that we're talking to, they actually are having a, a gigantic portion of their workforce retiring. Right. And so that's a whole different challenge. Um, and it's, you know, it's a positive challenge. You want to celebrate somebody gives you 40 years, but there's a lot that you can talk about uh, uh, related to how can your company address that? And you just start talking about it. You can pick a platform, LinkedIn, social media, the press, and, and you just start having that opinion and sharing it. Yep. Yep. So we've got two steps there, what you want to be known for, and then the, the content that you want to put out there. We'll get a bit more into to content and how you can come up with that in a sec. But in terms of kind of what you actually want to be known for, how often have you seen it with organizations where they think they want to be known for one thing and then it actually flips because the market says, no, this is not a goer. We actually want you for this. Is that is that something that often happens or is it usually that the founders of the company kind of nail it first time? I think um, the reality is that I don't think a founder says, I want to be known for being a consultant or I want to be known for being provocative. I think you just see their personality and then it works. Um, right. And, you know, you could be sort of a mix of both. And I think over time you might go from one to the other and back and forth. But, I, you know, I don't think I don't think any founder or any company owner is going to say, you know, I want to be this visionary person and that's the only thing I'm going to talk to. And then if they they start talking to people and to reporters and writing pieces that are really more about, you know, tips and tricks and examples. They just sort of get pulled over into that place, but that doesn't mean that they're not that that visionary. And so it's not it's not a pick it and stick to it. It's more of a, you know, have a starting point so that you know what kind of content you want to create. But if you evolve or if the market says, you know, I, I want to hear from you on this. I think that's a really good evolution because it shows if the market says, you know, this is great. Your your vision is interesting, but tell me how to get there. They obviously are starting to see you as an expert. And so it's the step in the right direction because then you have to tell them how, right? Like there, there does come a point where you have to back up what you're telling them. Okay. And with that said, are we saying this from the company as in the brand, whatever we're called point of view? Are we talking about this from the people involved in the organization or is it is it both for this this side of things i think it's both and i think it's you have to pay attention to you, your audience uh if you're speaking to a customer uh you're probably speaking as an executive with the company and so you know what you say and what the company says is one in the same like a customer is not going to differentiate that if you're talking to the market you know you can be talking as uh the person who happens to be owning a company. And that's just another, you know, point in your background, but I don't think you can divorce the two. Um, but by the same token, I think if you are uh, putting something out from the company, it's going to sound like the company and hopefully your company has its own personality. Whereas if you put it out from the CEO or the COO or even the CFO, they have their own personality and it should look like that, but it shouldn't contradict what the company is saying. Yep. Yep. Got it. So, you, after that step, you mentioned putting together content and suggested some some ideas. So, I mean, content content's a broad thing. There's there's so many things that constitute when it comes to content, whether it's media, whether it's copy, whether it's blog articles, social posts, whatever it might be. Um, how does a company? What should be some of the steps that companies take when it comes to actually? I suppose there's two parts to this question. Actually, what they should talk about and share, and then where mm -hmm. they should decide. The platforms to then distribute it and get it in front of people yeah um i mean content we could have a 
probably a whole series uh, oh, on easy, yeah. content. Um, it's, it's not easy, but sometimes it's actually, you don't have to overcomplicate it. And so, you know, I think that there's different kinds of content. You know, we can talk about some really in-depth web pieces that you're going to spend a lot of cycles on, some research pieces, things like that. But also, um, you know, depending on the format, uh, you could, your, your executives could just have con conversations on LinkedIn. And I think it really, first, it depends on where are your your audience going to be. So if you're in the B2B world, they're probably on Facebook, but they don't want to engage with you on Facebook. Um, they are most likely on LinkedIn and they want to engage with you professionally on LinkedIn. I mean, there, there's always, you know, some, well, in our world that works differently, but, you know, like at, at a security company, I can tell you they, the CIOs definitely did not want to hear from us on Facebook. It would have been weird. I think even here at Spiro, we might be talking to future employees through our Facebook page, but our customers are not, it's just, it's not a place like who sits in uh, Facebook while they're, you know, at the end of the day, they put their kids to bed and they're like, oh, I want to look at CRM. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, but on LinkedIn, you're having those kinds of conversations. Other uh, other uh, companies, they, they'll they be very different. They might be on TikTok. They might be on YouTube. They might have their own forum. So wherever those customers are and your future customers, that's where you want to go. And you have to pay attention to what kind sure. of content is there. And so if it's long form, it's long form, but um, you know, you could start if if it's these long in-depth conversations and you just don't have the cycles to create that, you can comment on somebody else and you can have the conversation and engage it. Um, it might be in some industries, a trade show. And maybe you're not speaking yet, but you can go to the trade show and just socialize and meet people and insert yourself with your opinion. And so it really, it really does come down to, I think when people think of content, they think of really long, everybody touches it, you know, 10 page PDF. And that's not, it's just put something out there. And, you know, yeah. if you simplify it and just start with, you know, maybe in your space there on Twitter, that, that's a lot easier to have an opinion on. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So yeah, create, create the con work out where your buyers are hanging out, create yeah. the content on the channels that they like to consume it on for, that's going to be relevant to, towards your, your industry. Maybe you can give us an example, Carrie. So Spyro, or, or maybe the security company that you're with, what were some of the actions that they took when they were first putting out content, when they first wanted to build up credibility in the market? What were some of the key foundational things they did from a content perspective that you think kind of helped secure growth and credibility? I think, um, so I, I worked at a PR agency uh, for 10 years. We were talking about this before we, we started the conversation. Uh, yep. I worked with startup companies. So they were unknowns taking on on uh, larger competitors in whatever market. And I think that the playbook, uh, regardless of what industry and what stage you are, is is the same. You, you, you get your message, you figure out what you're going to do, and you start coming up with some core pieces, um, you know, write four or five paragraphs and just start publishing it. So it's sort of the write once, publish five times. And uh, you can reach out to publications. Uh, they they all are short staff. They're looking for expert commentary. Just send it to them. Um, they might be looking for a quote here and there, but it's, you know, if you have this core piece with your opinion, um, what's going on in the market, you, you have to have something, but you just start putting it out there. And I think the, the press and publications is a really good place to start because they are looking for new pieces on a daily basis and they also really need um new perspectives and so this is where you know you can go you can see what they're reading you can provide something new uh and then once you start building up the traction you know like i said it's a right once published five times you can get something you can publish it 
uh, on an online article or publication website yep. that your your readers might be reading. It's probably not going to be the Wall Street Journal. Don't even try with the Wall Street Journal. But I guarantee every industry has an unknown newsletter that everybody that you want to talk to reads. That everybody has it, right? So go to that newsletter and start inserting things. Uh, and once you get something published, then you can share it on LinkedIn. And then you can, you know, you start posting it and be like, hey, I put this here. I curious, do you have the same thought? And it's one piece drives all of these conversations. And then you do it again. And it's the core story is the same, but it's a new, maybe it's something that happened in the news that you want to relate. This is why it's important. And this is what, you know, you just start building that story over and over again. And it, it takes a lot of persistence early on, but yep. it's sort of like the avalanche where, you know, you start a couple snowflakes here and there, and it takes a while. And then once it all sticks suddenly you're you know skiing down an avalanche of everybody wants to talk about it mm. yeah yeah the pr route's interesting I, I imagine it's pretty good for seo as well if you're acquiring some nice links from some good press releases some good articles online it's going to build up your your authority on google as well as from a pr perspective and as well as your potential buyers reading these industry publications yeah i think you know from a pr perspective and an seo perspective this is where a lot of companies you know, they think PR is I'm going to go out and talk to the press and then SEO, that's my website. I don't really know what I want to do with it, but, you know, people talk about it. Um, I, one thing that, that I don't think small companies understand is publications own SEO. And so if you were one of the things that Spiro wants to do, we hate CRM. We're introducing a new way. We call it proactive relationship management. If you Google that, the number one result is a piece that we wrote for a publication because the publication has the domain authority on the website or on Google, their website is going to own it. I have no problem with them owning the number one result because they will always own that. But when you click on it, it's all about us. It's a win, right? Like it's a, And then once you get into there, it comes to our website. And of course that link is, is a lot of power. And so I do think that it's something that, you know, you think of it from a PR publicity and it's not really about that. It's about building it out, getting it out there. I also think people don't understand that LinkedIn is the new search engine. When you're looking in the B2B world, do you go to Google or do you go to LinkedIn? Or do you go to like a G2 for reviews if you're actually looking at products? Like the search engine world is changing and I don't think people understand that. And the more that LinkedIn opens it up, you might have one piece that went viral, had a lot of engagement. That's gonna start showing up in Google when you open things up and you know it it pays off down the road. And I am actually yeah. curious since you're you're the maybe I've gone rogue on uh, our SEO strategy, but you know I if somebody else is going to promote my story and they have the SEO juice, my view is yes, please do it. Yeah, I mean if it's if it's your own content and it's Spyro branded and it's got a link back to your website, why not? I mean it make it makes sense to me. It doesn't necessarily have to be your website, does it? It's like you said, a juicy backlink from a website that's got high domain authority. So absolutely fine for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think, like, I don't know if you're asking my opinion, but I'm going to give I it. I was actually, um, I was asking, I was curious <laughs> if you were, like, yeah, yeah, I, a way to do that, but. I mean, yeah, it's it's a funny one, right? Because the B, the way buyers buy, especially in the B2B space, attribution, as I say on many podcasts, is a, is a crazy thing and very difficult to measure in some cases because there's so many different touch points. So some people, yeah, if they're ready to buy your stuff, they might just go to Google and they might search in your case, like, I don't know, something relevant to uh, manufacturing sales CRM 
whatever some of your target search terms are and they might be a high intent prospect and then they might request a demo whereas other people they might do that but they might also ask their peers on their slack group or their skype group or whatever what are the best crm for, for this or otherwise they might like you say head to one of the review sites like g2 or capterra check some ratings on there then make an inquiry other people might go to their linkedin feed might see some of your content see some of your paid ads see some of the case studies and then over time listen to your podcast consume some more content then inquire so it's it's not one size fits all so that's why in my opinion having a multi-channel marketing plan where you've got three or four channels that your buyers are using daily just makes sense so well can... yeah and i think this is where from a marketing perspective i focus less on attribution i mean certainly some of my campaigns i want to know if if they're driving specific, but I focus on the conversion point. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about um, the, the thought leadership is you're building credibility. So you know you're going to have all of these touch points. If somebody goes out and they say, I think I think I want to look more into Spiro, if they go to G2 and they see a ton of reviews, yep. it validates it. If they Google what what is this proactive relationship management and they see a well-respected publication talking about it, interviewing our CEO, it validates our CEO. And it's so every every if they go to LinkedIn and they see, oh, two people that I'm connected to engaged with this person who's tied to like it, it's sort of the breadcrumbs of the credibility. And this is where it comes. It, it's so important in the B2B world because they're not going to buy from you just because you were in that article. But if they're leaning that way and then they start Googling it and they're like, oh, everyone is everyone knows this company. It yep. just solidifies things for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you say, unless your item is is quite low value, it's just like a, not a detailed decision. It's like a few bucks a month. Then yeah, they might just head to your site and buy it. Whereas if if you're talking thousands of dollars a month, you're probably going to involve multiple stakeholders in your organization. It's not going to just be something you head to the website, click your fingers, yeah, you're going to buy it. It's going to be something you think about for time. And like you said, you might happen to consume a bunch of content. You might in listen to podcasts. You might read some articles. You might check out LinkedIn, go back to the website, speak to some peers and all that good stuff until you finally make the decision to, to go ahead because you've, you really trust this organization is going to deliver and, and yeah. do a good job for you. Yeah, and I think that's why thought leadership, in my opinion, is so important to smaller companies, because if you if you go out and you do research, these big companies, they're going to own it. They, you know, CRM is a great example. Salesforce invented the term. They own it. If you Google CRM, you're going to find all these Salesforce things. If you go to the reviews, you're going to find tens of thousands of reviews. It, they own that space. But from a thought leader per leadership perspective, if I can get in front of them on the marketing and, you know, from the sales and they start looking at it and comparing us against the Salesforce, and then they go out and they do that type of search of well, what is this, you know, the startup I've never really heard of, but I'm really intrigued. How are they doing against Salesforce? And then all of these articles start showing up and all of these reviews start showing up, then it, it solidifies that. And that's where I think the thought leadership you know, you're not going to dominate against the gorilla in the in the industry, but you can sort of put them on their heels because they won't have this and they won't. You know, it's like if you're looking on something on Instagram as a consumer, you're like, oh, I think I might buy this new vacuum. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, my God, I have that vacuum. It's the greatest vacuum in the world. So you're like, oh, OK, well, I'm going to buy it. And it's the same thing in the B2B space where the thought leadership, it doesn't drive people to you, but it definitely is one of the biggest advantages against those competitors when you need it the most. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely helps. Um, and I think 
I think you alluded to to it as well, especially with a CRM example, is in my opinion anyway, hone down on your niche. So mm-hmm. understand who your buyers are and understand the, the specific thing that they're interested in. Because like you said, if you're going after CRM, it's almost a, an impossible task. So yeah, if you can niche down and drill down into who you want to into who you want to provide, so whether that was in this case maybe finance CRM or whatever your your specific niche is, then it, it helps so much. Um, yeah, yeah. So with that said, we're creating content, we're putting it out there. Um, do we just do that, stay consistent, and gradually improve it, and that'll be enough to build up our credibility in the market, or is there is there a bit more to it? I think um, I think it it really comes down to focus and consistency. So you 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 will get to the place where whatever your vision is, whatever your story is, it will feel like you're talking about it and it's boring, and that's right point where it's just starting to resonate externally and you have to stay focused on it. You have to keep that consistent publishing. And then I I think the last piece is really you have to engage other people. So initially it's going to be, you know, you're just on the megaphone putting it out there. But once you get to the point and you start building it up, uh, up your credibility, you have to engage other people. You have to be associated. And that's when, you know, you want on LinkedIn, ask questions or comment on other people and and start connecting yourself with like-minded, similar people go to trade shows, sit on panels with them and, and really sort of build it up because at a certain point, um, it's great for you to be talking. It's great for people to find it, but to really, you know, lock it in and anchor it, you have to sort of build this community that all agrees with you. And and then it just amplifies at a level that um, nobody can keep up with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Engaging in, in the LinkedIn feed is good, especially in B2B, like you say, because you can kind of reach, you can, basically build up reputation with people that aren't potentially in your own network so other people can see your, your comments and you can ramp up your credibility that way and they click through to your profile and see what you're all about especially if you're adding kind of useful insightful actionable tips on other people's posts for sure are there any other lesser known ways carrie that you've seen that you can basically raise on the points you said there so ramp up your your network um so it's not necessarily just you with your megaphone putting out your content each day, whether that is articles, press releases, whether that's LinkedIn content or elsewhere. Any other strategies that you found quite useful in terms of kind of amplifying that by basically stealing other people's networks and and or <laughs> their communities? Yeah. So in the PR world, we used to call this ambulance chasing, where um, there's a couple ways you could do it. You know, on the at a security company, anytime another company um, in an unrelated industry has a security breach, you can go out and comment on it because it's safe. You want to make sure it's not the type of breach that would affect you. You don't want to put a target on your back with the hackers. Um, but, you know, we would call it ambulance chasing where if somebody else had, you know, a big company had a breach, we would go out to all of the press and we would give them commentary because we knew the big companies were not going to comment on that because they couldn't. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we just sort of stepped in. And I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, um, it's a tongue in cheek with the ambulance chasing. But if you look at what's going on in the news and you have a um, this built this credibility up, if something happens, whether it's to a competitor, it's something somewhat related and you can comment safely, you should yeah. get in there and comment. And then, you know, the other way that you could do it to really sort of hijack other people's networks on LinkedIn, where all of the B2B buyers are. They don't want to send people off of their platform. And, you know, the, if you start looking into the algorithm of, of LinkedIn, if somebody shares your your post versus comments on it, it doesn't go as far because they LinkedIn thinks it's duplicate. But if you see an article or if you see somebody else 
posting um, that has a big following and posting, you could share it and link to them because if you link to them, it shows up on their page. So if you share a post from um, somebody in the industry who has 10,000 followers, you link to them, say this was a really interesting um, perspective, they missed these two points and sort of piggyback on it. By linking to them, that person's network is going to see it too. And so then those 10,000 followers might come to you. And I think that there's a lot of ways, you know, on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, you can do that where you sort of insert yourself into their conversation so that their followers see you and pull them over. And, you know, you can also engage with them on conversations so that at some point they might actually follow you and then they'll share for you. And, you know, if somebody who has a bigger following comments on yours, all of their followers will will come over to your space. Yeah, I love I love these tips because they're they're so useful that organization for organizations that can move fast, don't have tons of red tape like you talked about earlier, and basically want to gain some credibility, want to build up their audience for next to no cash. Yeah. Um, one of the strategies that I steadily do in the background is also going on industry relevant podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that's another way that can work well for organizations that want to do these kind of things So basically find out what are the top 50 podcasts that your audience listen to in your sector and then start pitching the host of them whether that's on linkedin whether that's via email however you can get a hold of them and then you're reaching out each time you're, you're guesting on one you're, you're hitting a new audience that's potentially your ideal client and like you say building up your pr probably helping your seo a bit when they put out the article and link to your site um so yeah there's there's many ways like you say that you can make this happen yeah, I think podcasts are great. And, you know, so your your model is great. Uh, obviously, when this comes out, I'm going to share it with my network of, hey, I was here. And so they you have this whole new audience. And I think um, companies can do that. Spiro, actually, we recently launched our own podcast uh, just because we want to start not talking about our product, not talking about our company, but just start talking about what's going on in the supply chain with customers that we're selling to and customers that we're not selling to, frankly. And every time that we post it, you know, they they will share it to their network and it just builds a bigger community. Um, you know, I think five years ago, this is probably what trade shows did. You would go, you would host, you would speak. But yep. you know, in the, the post-pandemic world and no one's traveling anymore, not nearly as much. Yeah, I think podcasts are the new way to do it. Everybody is downloading things. They can listen. Uh, you know, on our side, the, the great thing about podcasts is it's a content generation machine because then you can take the transcription and turn that into something that you can SEO the heck out of from your website. And it, you know, my, like I said, my strategy is right once published 20 times or however many times we can get it out there in different formats, because, you know, some people want to listen to things. Some people want to read things. Some people just want to grab a little snippet and you should give them the information in the way that's meaningful to them. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of summing up. Awesome. Carrie, any final points before we wrap wrap up today in terms of any any final points people should consider when they're doing this strategy? Um, my, my only final point is don't be afraid of putting yourself out there and just having an opinion and you don't have to boil the ocean. If you are passionate about something related to your company, just start commenting on it and just just start engaging. And over time, you will see what you really get excited about because that's that's what you're going to be willing to write about. And then it will build. You don't have to have this perfect plan and you know spot, spend you know an hour a day writing. It, it doesn't work like that. Just start start doing what you probably naturally do anyway with a little bit more intention, and it will build momentum over time. Awesome, Carrie. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the chat. And with that, please do tell our audience more about how they can learn from you, connect with you, and anything else you'd like to share. 
Sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me. This is always fun to be able to actually talk uh, about what's going on in marketing. So people can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just backslash Carrie Hansen or come and check out Spiro if uh, you want to see some of the things that we're doing at Spiro.ai. And we'd love to engage with you on either format. Awesome. And we'll put all of those links over in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. Thanks once again, Carrie. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating on your audio podcast channel or subscribe on YouTube is very much appreciated. And with that, we should catch you on the next episode for more no BS, actionable marketing tips, grow your business and grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.